What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of Eastern Current Fishing. Tonight, we got four of us on, and we're going to talk about what could be a controversial topic, controversial topic, um, and that is, have electronics ruined fishing, or have, have they helped fishing? Like We're going to kind of discuss that line of what's too much as far as you know electronics and technology um you know what 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 should we allow what should we not allow you know are we screwing ourselves by by fishing certain ways or using different bits of technology to help us and aid us um anywhere from the bass world to the saltwater world inshore and offshore uh, i think it'll be an interesting topic also kind of discuss what's going on as our fall fishing heats up here in north carolina uh and and get into that a little bit but excited for our guests we've got on tonight before we before i introduce them um, I do want to share with y'all that we are really boosting up our efforts over on Patreon. Um, we're going to be doing a full-length podcast episode every week on Patreon that's just Patreon exclusive. So we've had extra content that's been kind of here and there, but we are guaranteed to putting out one new episode, full-length podcast episode every week on Patreon. So if you don't get enough podcast episodes over here um, on the podcast platforms and on YouTube or you really like it, just go check us out on Patreon. Um, you can do either $5 a month or $10 a month at your choice, or you can do a, you know, a personal donation, um, of however much a month that you want. Um, but that will get you access to all of those extra podcast episodes, as well as a lot of other videos and stuff that we have over there on Patreon. So, um, that just really helps, uh, you know, help support us and help support Eastern current. We spend a lot of time, um, put a lot of effort into getting stuff out to y'all. I know this past summer we haven't been quite as consistent with everything, but we've just all been super swamped, and we're looking forward to fall where things are slowing down a little bit where we can really pump out some good content. But like I said, if you want extra episodes every week, full-length episodes, go over to Patreon, check it out. We've already got two up right now that Michael and I recorded. We've got some more coming at you. We've got a trout series going on over there. We talked about hard baits for speckled trout, soft baits for speckled trout, and we're talking about live baiting next week. For speckled trout and that's all going to be on the patreon page the link will be in the youtube description as well as in the podcast show notes so to go check that out um that is enough of me just trying to get y'all's money i'm gonna go ahead and bring on the guests what's up guys hey how's it going we've got daniel avant in the top left we've got michael bell in the top right we got jeff bottom right and you got judson brock in the bottom left so that's your introduction. We're going to get into it, guys. First off, let's talk a little bit about our fishing. What have y'all been up to? We've, hey, we've got three HPXS owners right here. Three HPXS yeah. runners, and then we got an East Cape loser over here in the top right. Tell <laughs> me all about it, man. Um, I was down there today with you, obviously. Went and checked out that little uh, Peter Creek you showed me and uh, caught a couple in there and found some belly cars way back in the creeks before that and uh found some other fish out in the bigger water uh it's kind of tough today man um that cold front a couple days ago i think kind of shook things up a little bit and kicked in fall fishing i know some guys have been catching them in the surf pretty good too um, yeah for I sure know, i think everyone else down there had a tough day too from from what i heard it's definitely been tougher it's just such a transition time and and it's like those fish aren't not eating but they're just they're just doing different things. Like you get so sucked into a certain pattern, and you're like, "Golly, the fishing's terrible." And then you like, your wheels kind of turn, and you 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 have a couple yeah, tough days, yeah. and you realize the the new pattern, like how it changes so much this time of year. I mean, I found fish today, you know, that were upper slot, and they really didn't feed that well. And we found some fish that were lower slot and under slot, and they were fired up. They were hungry. Yeah, I love uh, some rats, man. Yeah, but those upper fish slot uh, upper slot fish, man, they didn't really have anything to do with with what we were throwing so right on how about you and uh jeff and mike oh i mean i've kind of split my time the last like week or so so i've been fishing a lot of like river stuff and i can tell at the beginning of last week like that mullet runs really kicked in and it's starting to slow down though so like in two or three day period you could tell the amount of schools of mullet leaving and the activity on the bait balls it, you know had really condensed down to very specific areas and that's where i was seeming to find most of my fish um and then yeah i mean it was like a light switch when we had that cold snap come through on saturday night so and then fishing up like in the cleaner water around Wrightsville in that area it seems like we just had a mass exodus of fish and everything went right off the beach, you know? So, I mean, there's still fish in in the marsh. There's still fish in the creeks, but it's definitely not the numbers that we were seeing, you know, 
five days ago for sure. So. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree with with both of you. It's uh, definitely a big transitional period, right? Mullet's starting to move south, and everything's kind of moving. And um, I would agree. I mean, big big exodus of fish from the marsh for sure. It's been tough to kind of pattern pattern the larger groups of fish and and most recently with that cold front i had a really tough time um feeding fish i found found a good number of fish in in a few different groups but every single one of them was just really tough and very skittish we were we were targeting them with uh with fly rods and, and some light tackle rods but they were just you know not wanting anything to do with us but you know it's just the way things go i think now that a lot of this mullet has has started to move on through. I think these fish will slowly start to kind of slide back in the marsh a little bit. I mean, of course, a lot of fish will be will be hanging out in the surf for for the rest of, of the the colder months. But you know, a lot of fish will start to slowly move back into the marsh like we had in the summer. So for we'll sure, see. Hopefully some bigger schools of hungry fish start to show up. It's a fun time of year. Oh, sorry, what were you saying, Mike? Well, I was gonna say once the water. T- temperature kind of equalizes a little bit and we get past like this kind of pressure change cold snap everything you know gets like a week or two of kind of consistent cool temperatures and it's kind of on that constant fall not just like such a giant snap yeah you know of such a shock because the night that we had that cold snap we also had dead low tide in the middle of the night you know i think a lot of that had you know more to play with it um, then kind of just mullet run and bait moving too, you know. For sure. I so, saw, like I think at one spot I saw a twelve degree temperature drop overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, when it once the tide kind of circulated a little bit, it it equalized, right? It, it kind of, you know, um, right normalized a little bit. But I saw at one point a huge temperature drop, and I think that had a lot to do with those fish being shut down. Was that was that? Probably in some really in a very shallow area that you saw that big change. Yeah, I mean, it, it was I think earlier on in the day, early on in the morning. Um, I think that tide was still maybe mid tide, if I remember correctly. And um, once it just circulated out a little bit, got through midday, it started to kind of normalize a little bit, get back into the mid seventies or so. But I think I was measuring like mid sixties, upper sixties. Yeah. It's it's a fun time of year because it keeps you on your toes big time. Like stuff's changing every day, and it can be for the worse. Like sometimes it, it screws you, but then sometimes you go out there and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go to trout fish for a little bit, and it's like I had nine reds on top water, and the trout bite was super good. Like you know, you can have these really epic days this time of year, um, but it's definitely so transitionary. Like the I, one of the biggest things I see inshore is is, and we're not even talking about electronics, but we'll talk about this a little bit longer. But um, is uh, is the change of bait source. Like these fish are so keyed in on mullet, like for the past month and a yeah. half as they've been dumping out into the ocean. And now they're like, the shrimp is the next thing to leave and move out of the ocean as it gets a little cooler. And so now they're like back in the creeks looking for the shrimp. Like, and there, there's, there's no bait back there. The nice thing about sight fishing in a lot of the areas where those dang big mullet are so annoying all summer. Cause you get in there and they start spooking and mud everything up and wake all over the place. And your clients are like, is that a redfish? Is that a redfish? Is that a redfish? And I'm like, Nope, that's a mullet. Nope, that's a mullet. Nope, that's a mullet. <laughs> I don't have to say that anymore, which is nice, which I'm fine saying it, but it, they, they can definitely get in the way of those big mullet. Um, and and I I think it, it it can be a really cool little short time of like summer fishing without all the mullet around, you get some good belly crawling activity before all the shrimp leave. Um, and, and talking about how a lot of these fish have been in the surf, man, I was like, there's been a bunch of King mackerel down South, like really close to the beach. And so I was trying that for a second this morning and we hooked one and we were in like eight feet of water. There was big Spanish and King's blowing mullet up and man it was literally a consist like a non-stop flow of finger mullet and big hardhead mullet down the down the beach like non-stop like it never ended it was just a, a buffet of, of bait just non-stop for the 45 minutes i was out there and so like it makes sense like for any fit there were sharks out there dolphins i'm sure there was big red fish on it um I mean, why not go sit in that surf zone this time of year and feed on those mullet? I mean, it draws a lot of our fish out there. It's just a conveyor belt of food. 
it's just there's so many different ways to catch fish this time of year. It's almost like hard to pick which one you want to do for the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can go straight to bedding, go catch big reds. You, you can go find belly cars on the creeks. You can go try to find trout, you know, early, early fall trout. You know, it's just so many different things you can go do right now. That was my trouble and struggle for the day as I tried to do every one of them and didn't really <laughs> make any of them happen. <laughs> there's alveys. I mean, there's just so much going on, and you just got such limited time to do all of it. For sure. I think the biggest, like, the funnest thing for me is right now I can pick up a topwater, and it doesn't matter. You know, like, summertime, you kind of focus that first thing in the morning. Right now, I mean, you throw a topwater, it doesn't matter. I mean, we were catching trout and redfish on topwater till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon the other day, and that was the only reason we like because we had to end the day, you know. It's literally all day long. They will feed looking up because they are focused on those mullet. Um, so it's a great time of year for that, too. I think it's, like, one of the funnest ways for me, at least, to catch them. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely fun to catch them on topwater definitely fun man i haven't caught personally i don't think i've caught a redfish on top water all summer i haven't tried i need to catch one i need to do that before the summer ends maybe i've caught one i don't know i need to do it golly i used to go do that a bunch i'm getting lazy i used to go do it before my trips and whatnot but then then you it would really suck when you caught caught them decent yourself on top water and then you can't get them to eat it when you pick your trip up but um, or you're, you're running past that one really juicy looking point. You're like, I'm going to throw a top water or I'm going to throw a DOA shrimp on that real quick before I go, go, go start my trip and catch a fish and then can't find them later. Um, I'm just, uh, exposing myself here right now. Um, well, cool. Well, let's jump into the meat of the, our topic here, um, which is going to be kind of talking about uh, me and Jeff. How did this come up the other day, Jeff? We were, we were sitting around talking about, we were at Fermental and, after you, me, and John were talking about something about electronics, and I think this was your idea. It may have been. I can't remember. Yeah, we were talking about it, and we just said this would be a great podcast topic. So here we are. There's just I, I th- oh, it was uh, what is what do you think the like the the biggest invention oh, for yeah for for, for we couldn't we, we couldn't word it then. I still can't word it now most influential invention for the fishing industry are we going to say overall fishing industry or inshore fishing or well, both? This is not, <laughs> well yeah i mean if you go both it's going to be a long podcast it is that's true that's true <laughs> but you've now confined it you've confined the to topic. inshore we'll talk about inshore sure okay sweet so let's go around. Let's each share our thoughts on that. Um, what what was the I think that it might be the same for a lot of us, but um, what is the most influential piece of technology invented for fishing up until now? Who wants to go first? And we've got Dan Avant, owner, operator, CEO, manager, hirer of Avant Marine Electronics. And so he is he's uh, he's going to be a really good voice of reason and keep us on track for this topic here. So um but if you do need marine electronics done, marine electronic work, Dan, real quick before we get into it, just share with people kind of he's in Wilmington, North Carolina. What are some of the things that you do on boats? I mean, just really anything, you know, I typically tend to work on skiffs and smaller, you know, in, in short boats, um, sonar, GPS, any type of lights, um, any basic, basic electrical wiring, trollers, batteries, um, bilge you know, pumps, pumps. Quick, simple. yeah, bilge pumps, you know, anything simple, quick that people just need knocked out quick that they don't want to wait, you know, for six weeks at the, bigger you know marine dealerships to to get stuff done you know i can handle pretty quick stuff for people so yeah i mean just keep it you know keeping it keeping it simple with marine electronics i think it's kind of my specialty keep everything efficient and uh keep it simple and stupid cool yeah you know <laughs> i'll get too crazy with it i like it well cool all right well since you're already talking what would your opinion be on the most influential piece of technology um personally for me uh satellite overlay um with gps think about that 
Yeah, for me, that is the biggest thing. Um, the whole LiDAR everlay, too, where I'm not going to say exactly what it is because it's kind of a secret. But <laughs> Well, you've already said it. People can look it up now. Thing where it shows all the, all the deep channels and all the holes and all the ledges and everything. I don't know how they get that information. Um, there is CMAP, which CMAP goes around and actually hydrographically surveys everything and then records it and uploads it and you can buy directly from them or you can buy from me and they do they do a lot of offshore stuff right cmap does right yeah. they're all offshore ledges stuff, and stuff like that but navionics has a lidar overlay i don't know if it's a lot or not i believe it is but they have an overlay that allows you to uh see all the inshore stuff as well it's not nice. extremely accurate but as far as like the river channels and your inlets and stuff like that um it's it's pretty close pretty close yeah that's sweet are those yeah, boats that we see at the docks that have like the the poles on the side, like that say survey, and you can tell they've got all these crazy transducers and stuff on their boat? Are those the people that are out there making that stuff? I mean, some of, some of them are. Most of those guys that are making that stuff have this great big giant, super high end, expensive sonar, like submarine looking thing that they pull back behind the boat. Gotcha. Um, those are the guys that are most most of making that. The the survey boats, I believe. They're either doing um, like hydrographic surveys for oil companies, or they're doing hydrographic surveys for core of engineers. Okay, I like that. Um, just for like keeping the inlets open and 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 measuring, you know, washout and um, channels closing in, stuff like that. I believe I believe that's what they're for. Okay. The lidar stuff that you're talking about, though, that's. That's actually really interesting because they can, they're actually, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they're actually using planes and they're covering a much, much larger area, much faster. So they, you can get much larger coverage maps than, than somebody actually going in a ship and, and, you know, tugging that torpedo behind the boat and, and surveying like that. Yeah. I, I have no idea how they actually get that information. Um, you're probably correct if I, if, if I imagine but the uh the water it's only it's not that great for like the creeks and stuff sure now i mean i've found some structure that i and some other stuff that i definitely did not know was there uh, and i would have never found it otherwise larger um, bodies of water whether they're bays or rivers or lakes or yeah the if you ocean. want detailed information yeah it's going to be the rivers and and stuff like that if you're trying to look at you know creeks that are 100 feet wide it's not i don't think it's very accurate yeah I don't know. Well, yeah, that that's one I didn't even really think about, man. Was I mean, I've thought I thought about it, but I, I just keep thinking about mine, and I'm like, oh, this has got to be what everyone's going to say. But I was glad that you said that the satellite yeah, imaging. Yeah, I, I, I got my phone right here. Hold on. There's can, so many yeah. tools within satellite imaging. So many things you can find out. You know, and Jeff, I know you and I, when we all talk about satellite maps all the time, I look at a satellite map probably 15 times a day. I bet on my phone, sending pins to each other. We all share pins back and forth all the time. We're all, you know, looking at imaging, looking at cha like channels and creeks and pockets and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got satellite overlay on my Simrad, and so the course heading is always up, and I've got active satellite overlay on my Simrad. So when I'm running in the dark, you know, I've got all my channel markers, I've got any sandbars, I can actively see the sandbars that are course heading up that I'm running up to. I can see when I'm running up a Creek, which side the sandbars are on where that oyster bar is in the Creek. Yeah. That's... Yeah. It's super helpful for running out of, out of creeks at night too. You know, when you get done fishing those flooded, you know, flooded grass flats in the summer and you're leaving in, at dark. Yeah. Uh, that's been extremely beneficial for uh, sure. All summer. Thank you. Yeah. Um, here's, I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see it very well on my phone, but I'll give us a shot real quick. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. You pull it out a little bit. Pull your phone away from the screen a little bit. There you Keep go. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It just shows all that texture. Yeah. That's how LiDAR is how me and Michael called hogfish last summer. Yep. On C-Maps. Do the we C-Map system. Yeah, we were way offshore and we just like looked at what looked like a ledge and ran to it and dropped and pretty much doubled up on like twenty pound hogfish. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to C Maps. But um <laughs> some, 
<laughs> we're like, we've never fished anywhere near here, but let's start dropping to the bottom and see what happens. <laughs> um, well, cool. All right, who's next? Who wants to share their uh, their hot topic? I think for me, like, just thinking technology-wise, like, trolling motors have come, I mean, so far from the basic little, you know, stern drive or whatever, just the effectiveness of sneaking up on fish, positioning your boat, putting you right where you need to be to make effective cast or, you know, circle around fish quietly without having to use a push pole, being able to fish by yourself, covering Anchoring water without having to anchor. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, like, from those kind of things to now, like, hooking up to your hummingbird or your Lowrance or whatever and being able to follow a track to, yeah, anchoring whatever it is, I mean, just how how effective you can make your time on the water, I think, has made a huge difference in the fishing world. For sure. One hundred percent. That's my my answer as well. I think on a day to day basis, what helps me catch more fish, yeah, more than any other thing on my boat, other than a fishing rod, is the trolling motor. And, and especially, you know, I'm not talking about on my skiff, but more on my bay boat, like a 22 foot bay boat. And, and in the summer, I, I could probably get away the entire summer if I was to bait fish every trip on my bay boat without which I, I don't want to bait fish every trip but without a trolling motor because you can the fish a lot of times are on bigger edges they're they're out more in the open you can kind of idle for a second can pick up some speed drift in drop an anchor power pole down stick it pole whatever you need to do but like today that's that wasn't happening i finally had to get into a little creek and if i didn't have a trolling motor to get that if i tried to get in the creek with the outboard and fish to the fish that were in the creek, I would have never, I mean, I was spooked every single fish out of it. And I was able to kind of creep up in there on the trolling motor and catch them on a bay boat in a creek that was like three feet wider than my boat. So it, it really helps. Right there. Yeah, it really helps. I mean, for me, that, that really helps me at this time of year. I mean, a power pole too at the same time, but that's yeah. a question I get a lot from clients. They're like, all right, I got a boat and I want to get a power pole or if I've got to get one like power pole trolling motor, what would I get? And I'm always like, man, I would get a trolling motor. You can always, you can always anchor or do something else, but the trolling motor like allows you to sneakily move around and you can still anchor with it and and whatnot. So I'm with you on that, Mike. I mean, I think too, a lot of times like, shut up, just just me, but like (laughs) I dropped the trolling motor and I'm pulling at the same time. Like I can turn the trolling motor off, pull you know a 40 50 yard stretch cover it effectively turn the trolling motor back on move you know 100 yards down cut it back off and go back to pulling you know it just makes that time super effective in there but no i 100% agree but that's no fun we gotta choose something else you gotta pick something else Chad. what the oh my gosh man all right treble hooks Treble hooks. I'm just I kidding. Yeah, they took some. They took a welder and they added two more hooks to a normal hook. <laughs> just stick with your undergunnel under lights. Undergunnel lights. No, I think maybe the next most. Mm, I think tie apps on my phone is a big one. Like, and, and yeah. I used to pay attention. Like, okay, the low tide is at this time. High tide at this time. Cool. Like, it's not low tide. It's not high tide. But like the more and more sight fishing I've done over the past years and really started to learn, there are so many spots that turn on at exact tides, like exact amounts into the tide and being able to sit there on my phone and constantly pay attention to, I know, I'm, I know I probably have some trips where clients I'm like, golly, that dude keeps texting. Like they think, but I'm always like pulling up my, my tide app trying to think about, cause you've got to think, especially in that, you know, dirty water, like fishing some of the coastal rivers, like we have in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, there is like a sweet spot, a sweet time in the tide for every spot that you like to fish. And you can't fish all your favorite spots on the same day. Sometimes you got to pick because you're, you know, they got the same times on the, on the tides, but being able to, you know, check all my different tide stations around and, and get a really good pinpoint on, on what my tide's doing, where it's at, 
Jeff kind of enlightened me into following the actual NOAA tables and seeing like, okay, this is the predicted tide, but it actually got a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller. Like, and, and knowing, you know, yesterday we had the same wind and the tide didn't quite get as low as it was supposed to. And so like, I've screwed myself on trips before because I went to, you know, I was saving this one bank that I thought was really going to be good, but the tide was predicted to be low enough, but because of the wind direction, the past couple of days, it wasn't getting there. And I should have gone to fish another bank, and I, and I didn't really get the shots that I thought I was going to get. And so, um, I think being able to track the tide like really, really accurately, whether it's on your GPS or your phone or whatnot, is 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 a pretty important one for for some, you know, for trout fishing. I wouldn't say it's as much, but for those belly crawling, sight fishing, redfish, it's pretty important to me. Yeah, I mean, even Judd, even like topwater spots. I mean, I had spots today where you know we had really big fish blow up on topwater. Lost one fish and damn, we get it. You catch up. really big fish, all right? Yeah, <laughs> really big fish. That's yes, you're tied up. <laughs> but no, I, I got this one. You know, this one spot and uh, half tide to three quarter rising tide is really, really good. You know, but like anything below half tide is just too too shallow. Anything higher than that, and the fish just aren't really there. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how they can just. I mean, they Dude, know. They're just like moving certain areas at very specific times. Yeah. And then there's some spots where they just keep moving up and down those banks, like throughout the tide. It doesn't matter. You're not going to see them, but they're still doing the same thing. Um, so that's, that's pretty crazy. What about you, Jeff? You, you go in last kind of sucks because you get some, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, Daniel started off with satellite imagery overlay. Michael did the trolling motor. You did the trolling motor too, but when we kind of gateway over to tides now what am i left with <laughs> um we'll go side imaging side imaging so, side imaging sonar oh. right what i think that's pretty, pretty a, a, a pretty amazing invention um it, it was invented way before it was brought into fishing for surveying purposes but since it's been brought into fishing i think it's definitely been a a huge benefit and and uh, great invention for fishing, right? Not necessarily just to find fish, but to find that structure. Um, you know, being originally from you know Annapolis area and fishing for stripers, they're very very structure oriented fish. So using that sign imaging to find those downfallen trees, those rocks, and the, just that structure where where fish like to hang out. Um, it can be really, really, really helpful. Just allows you to basically see 200 feet over to your left, 200 feet over to your right as you're slowly cruising and kind of pinpoint yeah. and drop pins of exactly where that piece of structure is. And, you know, I know that also works really well for, for nearshore fishing. Um, you know, when you're in less than 50 feet of water set water or so and you're, you're fishing some, some nearshore ledges or some bottom structure, you can really pinpoint exactly where that ledge is and for sure. Yeah. It's just really important to be able to find exactly that spot and then kind of bringing in the trolling motor, right? Power pull down, not power pull down, but spot lock down on that spot and, and fish it. It's just, I mean, technology has changed the game in that regard. Before, you'd basically be going off of a GPS point and dropping an anchor and hoping that the tide swings you right perfectly just over that spot. But, I mean, with... with down imaging sonar and and trolling motors you can you can fish where you want to yeah exactly where you want to hey jeff what's your like kind of a, like minimum depth that you think side scan works well because most of the time i'm in situations where you know my, it's too shallow for side scan to really be beneficial for what i'm doing i think 10 feet yeah that's kind of what i thought too I think you can yeah. kind of get away with that, like seven, eight feet sometimes, but yeah, ten feet and more is great. Thirty feet of water, I feel like, is like money. You can read really, really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where. I mean, I think it, it it's really effective in in the Chesapeake. I think, um, you know, just being able to pinpoint that structure, you can actually see, if you bigger fish and and good quality sonar, you can actually see fish pretty well. You know, I was playing around with it and slowly cruising through the intercoastal and. A pot of dolphins came by, and I mean, it was like a perfect outline of a dolphin, and it's just, it's, it's come a long way, and it's, it's very, very clear. But you do need a little bit of depth. It's not going to be, it's not going to, you're not going to see fish in three feet of water as you're cruising through it, right? It's, it's not, 
you don't really get the beam out that far, I don't think. So. How uh, have you been able to find like any schools of, of redfish on your side scan? Like, have you like clearly gone by a school like just just to play around with it, and so you can kind of be able to tell exactly what the school of fish looks like on your side scan? That's funny. Um, I I think I actually did. So um, I I knew I knew there was a group of fish in this general area on some of these docks, and it was. There's a bunch of docks in this area. I'm not, I'm not going to say exactly where, but um, Judd knew where they were. I did not. I went and side imaging all these docks, and I dropped like three pins on on three different docks in this area, and I was I was able to at match. He nailed um, it. I was able to match up at least one of them <laughs> with one of the docks that actually had fish on it. So, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't played around with it all that much because I'm always on my skiff and the side imaging is on my, my bigger boat and oh, gotcha. the fishing I've been doing on that has been, has been, um, it's been near shore stuff and, and chasing albies. So, you know, around here for fishing, you know, that's what I would primarily use. It would be trying to find redfish on docks. I think that would be really awesome to be able to do, but, um, you know, I haven't spent that much time working with it. In that yeah, sense. I've played around trying to find fish on the docks with it, and I just haven't gotten in this situation where I was like, okay, that's a school of fish. You know what I mean? Like, I've yeah. seen stuff, and I'm like, that could be fish. They could not be, though, too. I haven't found anything, you know, the concrete evidence that, like, hey, I know for a fact this is what fish look like. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go scan docks until I find this. I think yeah. it would a really good way to learn would be to, like, you know, if you were catching redfish with a little off a dock and then scanned it hard. Like you're like, okay, I know they're down there right now. And then drive around it at a bunch of different angles and, and really see what it looks like. And then turn around and go try to replicate it. Cause yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I, I've said the most I've played around with side scan has been up on, um, I've got it on my skiff and now it's not working again. I have two, I've had two brand new units. I've got one for my skiff and one for my pathfinder that I've had since, may that i haven't put on either one of my boats that are like the brand new low rants with side scan and i haven't put either one of my boats so i've got no excuses but i've fished one day with right here let him do it for you i know i'm gonna have to well dan dan's so sick and tired probably me being like hey man and michael michael's tired of house projects dan's tired of electronics on my boats so i've got to find i've got to find new friends to pick on if it wasn't the right one yeah i know we put the wrong transducer with the wrong (laughs) i helped judge put a transducer on a skiff last time and he was like yeah, this is the one. I'm like, all right, we'll put this one on there. And then like, it didn't even fit the back of the GPS unit. <laughs> no, it fit the back of the GPS unit. It, the, I think the GPS was shot. I bought I it off Facebook just, Marketplace. Just um, but <laughs> it was like an outdated. It had a blue record. cord, it and it looked like a blue thing. cord. All right. <laughs> I didn't. It, no, it was for like the right model. I don't know. I just like your software wasn't updated enough to run the transducer or something. There was know. something wrong with it. I bet it was the wrong. I bet it wasn't even a transducer, honestly. Um, but yeah, the, I think, like, the side scan's badass. What were you saying, Mike? Well, I was going to say, like, the sky, side scan, I don't have on my boat. I've got an older Sunrad unit on mine. Y'all keep talking for one but, second. I'll be right back. Um, you know, one of our buddies has one on his uh, C-Pro that we take out some. And the nearshore stuff, like you were talking, you know, 50, 75 feet of water is... It's money to, you know, go up and see. I mean, you can see how the sand's piled up. So if you're fishing one one piece of structure, one side's better than the other, depending on current flows, a lot of that stuff. And just being able to, you know, figure out, especially with a trolling motor and having spot lock now in those situations where you're not having to drop an anchor in that deep of water and try to hang and float perfectly, you know, side scan, look exactly what you're wanting be able to spot lock and drop and know that you're going right on top of where you need to be at um, and being able to really pick apart that structure and figure out what is good and what is bad. It may take you a little while to learn how to read the graph and what shows up good and what doesn't, but um, you know, once you start playing around with it, that stuff makes a huge difference in how effectively you can cover those nearshore wrecks or ledges or whatever it is that's going to hold fish. I will, I will say that I have, I have side imaging on on both my bigger boat and, and my smaller skiff, and the side imaging on my bigger boat is substantially better than what's on my skiff, just because of the 
the frequency that it has. I think it only goes up to maybe like 280 or maybe 400 hertz on my skiff, where I think it goes up to it's it's like uh, maybe like a thousand megahertz or something like that. So just way way higher frequency on the it's a it's a nicer unit, right? What it comes down to is it's a nicer unit, but the um, the amount of detail that comes off on the on the graph with the with the higher frequency is is substantially better to the point where I mean you can you can actually pinpoint and see fish on it as opposed to the other one you know the other uh, side imaging with lower frequency you you can't quite see the detail that, that the other unit provides. Well, I was gonna say like I know I've been out there and using side scan on my friend's boat like we could visually see like a school of king mackerel sitting over top of a wreck like on side scan yeah like it will show you those fish and it's like you know if you can start that circle around what you're looking for especially for structure oriented but up off the bottom suspended fish aj's king mackerel whatever it may be you know and you make that wide circle at first with your side scan you're probably going to be able to locate those fish and know what you need to do to put yourself in that right situation to be able to capitalize on them yeah yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen some pictures of some guys down in Florida with side imaging right up right on uh, some bridges, and you can see like the shape of the tarpon's face just in so much detail that you can identify the species, right? You can see like the tarpon's mouth, just the way it's shaped, and you can tell that that is a tarpon for sure. Yeah, it's, that's it's, so cool. Dude, I think part of it too is like understanding how to truly use your side scan. For sure. Because there's so many settings. I mean, I can't even remember all the settings, but there's all sorts of different noise rejections and how many hertz you want to use and then how far you're shooting out and your center line and your offset. I mean, you know, there's just an insane amount of settings for side scan that you don't have with traditional down scan. Um, and I think it's really important to understand all that, all that stuff. Um, and you've got like spring back and it's just, it's just so many different. Have you all found a good resource to learn from with your when when trying to learn side scan? You know, even in YouTube, is there a certain person yes. on YouTube that? Yes, I have it saved on my YouTube. I'll see if I can find it real quick. Um, I I YouTube it a while ago. I can't remember what I looked at, but it it really comes down to starting there. But ultimately, you just got to go play around with it, right? Go out to some near shore artificial reef and and just start going over top of it and pinpointing some things changing your settings see what looks good see what doesn't look good yeah. but i mean right it, different settings work for better for different scenarios whether you're in, in more deep or or shallower water whether you're moving really fast whether you're moving slow and really trying to you know pick apart an area whether you're just trying to cover ground and, and just see a general overview it, it the settings 100 percent matter yeah yeah that's uh that's very true and you can change the colors even that so you get different contrast and whatnot that's probably the most simple setting you can change i'm talking about yeah. you can also change from red to yellow to blue to white yeah, it's all about the color <laughs> Uh, I'm just one of those old timey guys. I throw a bobber out there with a cricket under it, and if he gets bit, another fish there. You know what I'm saying? Look <laughs> uh, at that. So, I mean, Brad has a sonar masterclass on their YouTube channel. Who does? Stimrad does. Stimrad does. That's cool. Yeah, there's this other guy that like explained it really, really well. I think Salt Strong has one too. Um, I can't find that one that was very good at explaining. So my friend shared with me that like a good way to explain it. Cause people always ask about it when you're looking at it. He's like, man, it, I tell people it's like, if you're standing there with a flashlight and you're shining it out at an, at that angle and you get the shadow from the object and you get the detail from the light hitting the object. So you're kind of getting that detail on the side and then you see that shadow that's further away from it. So like a fish, is always going to have a shadow on side scan. You're going to it's going to be suspended up off the bottom and you're going to see that shadow and the distance that the shadow is away from the fish tells you how high in the water column it is. It's kind of the generic. But but I mean, I've watched videos and and we've we won't get into like live target and and panoptics and whatnot too much on here because it it's not really 
relative. I'm sure there's guys out there catching fish using it in the inshore world, but I haven't really seen it take much of a, you know, redfish, deep water. Most people aren't deep water redfishing. Most people that are really serious about redfishing and like wanting to get better are shallow water fishing for them. And then trout fishing, maybe maybe you'll see it in the trout fishing world a little bit. But just so much of it happens so much shallower than you're doing a lot of bass fishing. So I just don't see panoptics in the inshore world really doing much. Um, but in the nearshore world, I think it could. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it comes back to with like what you were saying earlier about like current and being able to fish and hold your boat and constantly being able to scan and look through an area you know, you're having to turn your trolling motor and you can't turn your trolling motor in current. Right. You know, like we were talking earlier. I mean, there's just a lot, there's a lot more variables in the saltwater inshore, nearshore world than what you're seeing out on a lake per se. Right. So. That's very true. So are there any other heavy hitters that we've missed as far as like, you know, big, big time changes? Because I want to get into the topic of like, you know, do you, do we feel like this growth in technology in the fishing world is helping or is it hurting? And there's some other stuff when we get into that that we can talk about, like social media and um, social media. <laughs> we can talk about, you know, is it, is it helping or hurting our fishery? I think I think it's I think technology itself is hurting the fishery. Um, is making it easy, so much easier for the everyday weekend warrior to catch more fish, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I don't think it promotes conservation as much as technology promotes itself and catching more fish. Right. Um, I also don't think that people understand the recreational uh, technology that we use is it's not even close to what commercial harvesting companies use. Um, and not inshore, primarily offshore, but I mean, they, the, the charter and Persane fleets and stuff like that, man, I mean, the, the sonar they have, those guys are shooting out four or 500 meters, uh, out in front of them, you know, looking for big schools of bluefin before they drop the Persane around them. Um, so I mean, that's, I think that's a, that's a big, a big deal. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, I was on a, on a bass fishing podcast. Well, I wasn't talking about bass fishing because I know nothing about bass fishing. But it was with some bass fishing guys, a guy that I had had to come fish with me here named Alex Rudd. He's got his own YouTube channel and podcast and whatnot. And they were talking about this topic of we got into like electronics and, you know, is it helping and hurting fishing and talking about, I completely forgot where I was going with this, but talking about live scope and, um, and whatnot and talking about how, you know, it, it doesn't, it's like, it's such a hard, I, I think it's just something that the whole world is going through in every avenue of, you know, not just fishing, but just in everything. Like, we're constantly have more access, we're constantly getting better at what we're doing, everything's getting easier and easier, and, and there's, there's definitely a breaking point, and it's like, have we passed that breaking point yet? Are we on the cusp of it? Like, is it something we need to be aware of? So, I don't know. It's it definitely takes away from I mean, there's just something so nice about going out on the water, trying a new place, just throwing a top water down the bank and getting blown up by a bunch of fish and realizing, hey, there's a bunch of fish there as opposed to all this. You know, I don't know. There's it's all fun, though, because I love the scouting. I love sitting there looking at Google Maps. I love trying to figure out where, you know, the next best place is or where the trout might be laying because the inlet bottom changed and it's probably pushed them onto a different bank like there there's just so many fun things about that but i don't know i'm kind of talking in circles here well i mean i think with kind of a simple way of looking at it's like great power comes great responsibility like we have this technology that we can go out and accomplish and be way more effective on the water but using it to catch more fish is fine but to catch more fish take more fish home we can't necessarily support that. So, you know, you have to be minded of what you're doing. Yes, you're catching more fish. Everybody's catching more fish using that technology. But that doesn't mean just because you can go out and limit out every day, you need to go out and limit every, limit out every day. You know, like you have to be 
more responsible on your own for taking that action and that step forward versus really you know leaving it up to either a state mandate or whatever depending on what you're fishing for a federal mandate you know for what you're doing take that personal responsibility a little bit too more than just leaving it up to somebody else yeah for sure i think that 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 comes to a lot of it and not and and you know there's a i think catch and release is catching on more and more with people there's still a lot of people that aren't doing catch and release but also like just beating up areas you know, just because, you know, you can catch fish there, like getting away. It's, that's the hardest thing in fishing is to like get away, get out of your comfort zone, like go do something that maybe isn't going to work because you, you want to learn because learning becomes more important to you than catching fish. And I feel like if, if every day when you're out in the water and that can be your mindset of like today, it's more important for me to learn how to become a better fisherman, learn new areas to fish, learn new techniques you're going to constantly be throwing yourself out on the water as opposed to when you go to the same two spots every time and keep beating them up. And some days you catch them, some days you don't, you know, there's really nothing to it. And I totally get the argument of like, Oh, I only get to get out, you know, every third weekend, but I don't think the principle really changes. I'm not saying don't go back and fish that stuff, but don't just go do the same thing every time expecting the exact same results every time. Cause the fish move, they change patterns change. They're eating different things. They're hanging out different areas. I don't know. What do y'all think about that? I mean, in, I think in correlation to what you you, you kind of said, Judd too is like, I think we get very uh, reliant on our technology. You know, we we get so focused on oh, this spot looks good on Google Maps. Oh, this spot doesn't look good. Oh, this spot, you know, I'm not reading any fish on the fish finder. There must not be any fish here. Right. Um, I don't think that's always necessarily true. I mean, a lot of times I'll go I'll go back in a in a big creek and just get lost and not look at the gps to see where i am for hours the next thing you know i found two or three new spots that i would have never checked if i had just looked at google maps you know um i think just people find spots in google maps you know they run to one spot and oh, they check it real quick and they fish there and then they run to another spot and they check that spot um you know i think we just sometimes just maybe just step take a step back and just and just get out there and fish and see what you find too. for sure for sure, there's no substitute for time in the water. That's for sure. What do y'all think the the biggest killer of you know good inshore fishing is as far as technology goes? <laughs> I feel like a lot of it has to do with picture sharing, social media, social yeah. media. Yeah, yeah it's a it is it's a blessing and a curse. Um, particularly for people who are in the fishing industry, right? Um, it's guys, a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because it, it's it, it promotes your business. It, it kind of shows your customer that you're catching fish, and it also just gets people excited to go out and come fishing with you. So I, I totally get that. Um, but at the same time, it... <laughs> It gets more people out fishing, fishing those spots that you had kind of all to yourself the day before, and you doing your own thing out chasing false albacore. Next thing you know, there's a bunch of boats out there. So things like that, it's a totally double-edged sword. Um, it's tough. It's a tough one, right? It, you know, it's it's a it is a blessing and a curse. I don't know know what else to say about it. Well, I mean, l- let's look at it this way. Like we've all fished our whole lives in our own areas, but we've all fished heavily here for about 10, 12 years, like really focusing hard on our fishing and becoming good inshore anglers here for 10, 12 years. And at the beginning of that time, 12 years, let's say 12 years ago, Instagram was like really new. No new and and very few people had it and it definitely wasn't influential especially not in i mean there was no such thing as the influencer no one was becoming famous on instagram it was like you and your small circle of people that you posted but you had like oh man you got a hundred followers man that's crazy you you have it was like your close friends like followed you on instagram um and you know golly man we would go out and and for a, a Saturday and Sunday and pull around and see like one or two other boats fishing 
Mm-hmm. shallow water in the creeks and whatnot and they weren't pulling boats it was like a john boat you're like holy crap where did that where did that jones brothers flat bottom boat come from like i haven't i've never seen yeah. some of it you know what i mean like and that was 10 12 years ago and now the the prominent skiff the prominent boat you see on the water is a skiff honestly if you're fishing in shore you're, you're running into more skiffs than anything else and cool and great and everything but it's like that double-edged sword just keeps slicing one way more than the other as far as it's just getting more and more exposure. And I can't say anything. I mean, I'm sitting here. We're making a podcast right now telling people how to go catch fish. Like, I'm, I'm all about people getting out there and doing it. But, you know, it does make it tougher. The more people out there, the, the easier the fish get. The, the more technology, all that, blah, blah, blah. It's just this – it's really just this big spiral of good and bad mixed together. <laughs> Right. I mean, it, it definitely, it, it's huge for your business, right? Right. It, it helps promote your business, helps you get customers. But for at the sure. same time, there is that negative consequence of more people are out fishing and there's less fish, right? There's there's less fish, which also hurts your business. Right. So it's definitely one of those things where, you know, you you do one thing because you think it helps, but then at the ultimately it kind of hurts you. So then it's just like, ah. Oh, Man, social media is one of those hard, hard topics of, of and, and you know, it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, you, cause you can always kind of sit there and be like, what I'm doing is really not making that much of a difference. You know what I mean? Like no one's really, I'm not, no one started fishing because of me, but it's just this combination of like a, a lot of things, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I'm all about people fishing. I think life's short. You need to get out there and enjoy it, but we need 100%. to be good stewards of our resource and. It doesn't. It doesn't make me mad to see more skiffs. I mean, selfishly, I wish that I never saw another boat on the water. But at the same time, I'm like, I want people to have this passion that I have. Yeah, I, I want mean, people I to feel this hate like, that I, I feel know. sometimes for redfish. I mean, dude, it's today is Tuesday, mid October, and I saw four other skiffs on the water today. Wow! Yeah. And you and I were in the same creek and didn't even know it. Yeah. You know, and That's I, why saw, I saw I got four. that invisible yep. spray for my boats. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did see your uh, your bait there floating in the water, though. I wasn't bait fishing, dude. I was fishing <laughs> fish bites. <laughs> I'd be surprised if there was any bait left in there. They were smacking it. I wish I had some bait today. It was so tough down there. It was tough. It was tough. It, that incoming was definitely the best. Um, what would y'all say is... It's probably my last question here, but I, I think kind of round this out would be, um, what would you say was the breaking point for like this overflow of people in shore fishing? Like when did it when did it blow up? Three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why, but I would 100% agree. I think it was three years ago. There was a boom. Yeah. Of brick- it, it was just- before COVID. It got popular yeah. before COVID. Yeah. No, COVID definitely, I think, was a a big boom in the entire fishing industry, right? Bass fishing, nearshore fishing, inshore fishing, offshore fishing, all of it. But particularly inshore fishing with, with flats boats and, 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 you know, bay boats and skiffs and things like that. Uh, man, it's like three years ago. It's just it went from feeling like there was maybe fifty skips around to two, three hundred. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, it, like, it, it's like I see a new Hell's Bay almost every other day. Yeah, that's yeah. so, so true. Say, I mean, like from the time me and you started fishing in college together, Judd, you know, we were just figuring out what flat skips were because we were in it. You know, we wanted to learn. Then it was like once there was, it kind of got past that point of. There was like three like, flat skiff companies in college oh, yeah. when, when yeah. we were, you know and what I mean? Then it was like, all right, everybody figured out, all right, I can get a cool, not necessarily a cool, but a very technical boat that I can trailer. I can fish where I live at. You know, I don't have to have $100,000 boat or $200,000 offshore boat or whatever. You know, it was more reachable to the general public to have that, you know, more technical boat for fishing. And I think once people started to see that, it just kind of slowly took off. And then it was like, you know, 
like I said, three, four years ago, it just went bananas. Who were some so, of the first big names that you think that really pushed it on social media, that really glorified it and kind of gave it the... Because uh, I'm thinking, one, Greg Dini. I was about to say Greg um, Dini. Bulls on top. One of those, you know, the, yep. one of the first, like, slow-mo, sexy, topwater, redfish eat videos you've ever seen where you're like, holy crap, that's sick. I want to do that. <laughs> Silver, I'd say Silver Kings probably pushed Silver it Kings pushed it for sure. I'm going to say yeah. a lot of your big, like, Keys fishing, Southern Florida fishing, charter captains, TV. David Mangum with, with all his cool creations. And not that there's anything wrong with this. I'm a huge supporter of what all these guys have done. But I think they're they're very responsible and, and, and we're just big influential names in the, the rise of shallow water fishing. That would be the most badass documentary <laughs> of following. Dude, we got to do that. Following the rise of shallow water fishing and, and like how it became popular and like finding these people that were kind of some dude, of that. That would be a great documentary, actually. That would be a really cool documentary. That would be really interesting. I wish I was a videographer. <laughs> And like Flip Pallet and you know a lot of those guys. He's an OG, but I wouldn't even make yeah. him. I wouldn't point. I don't think he was really. Do you think he was responsible for a lot of it? I don't know. Maybe he was. He was, he was responsible for, the, for a lot of it, like but just yeah, like he was the start of it, and yeah, from started. that, what he shared, what he passed down, yeah. you know, got so many other people excited about it, and got that fire lit so that man, i don't think man i think social media is um is really responsible for a lot of it i don't know what happened but somewhere along the lines it became cool it became the new cool thing to do and all these you know younger guys um really started getting into it and it became you know the new cool thing to post on your social media um, and I think that really blew it up because if you, you know, think about anything about Flip and you go back and you'll get, you know, Jose Webe with the Spanish Fly show, you know, they've been doing that stuff forever, yeah. you know, and you had like all your guys that are, you know, were into it already, but it wasn't like the cool thing to do. And now, you know, having, having a skiff and running around the marsh, you know, catching fish on gurglers, I mean, that's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the new thing. For sure, it's it's definitely got this, and, and the way you said that, Dan, kind of made me think it it really was like a like a, a like micro influencers. So like people on social media that weren't like these massive names, but all of a sudden there was all these people that were doing it that were posting on social media, and it's fun and cool and it's intriguing. And like, of course, if you go out and you sight fish a redfish on the bank, you're going to be freaking fired up about it and you're going to post about it and you're going to show how cool it is. And then you get these artistic people in it and they start doing films and um, like bad fish, you know, they did a lot of early right. on. Like, I was just getting ready to bring them up. I think like the mix of the new, like modern film, type like the hipster outdoorsman music, right? Exactly. The mix of that, you know, the shallow, shallow water, fishing game mixed with the the cool music you know and the slow-mo shots of the skiffs coming around corners throwing water everywhere i think you know that's really made it you know stuff like that has made my skiff doesn't throw water at all it doesn't i'm just kidding oh you don't have a transducer on there that's true that's true (laughs) no you're right though dan it's it it, it was just a big combination of everything and i'm curious if for y'all that are listening to this podcast if you're still listening to us just talk and talk and talk leave a comment and share with us what y'all think it is. Cause I'm curious. Cause I, I think it can be a little different for everyone. I think it was, you know, it's definitely overall the rise of social media, just how it exposed everything more. And, you know, more people got into all kinds of different things because they could see it, they could feel it, they could understand it more. Um, you know, they, it, it was this era of like, no, you don't no longer have to like wait till Saturday morning to watch fishing on the you know espn like you can just pull it up on your phone real quick and watch cool content and whatnot and so obviously when content and learning is so much more readily available more people are going to be out there trying to put it to work um but share with me like share share with us on the comments who was influential to you why did you get into fishing and 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 kind of um fly fishing or light tackle fishing what what kind of pushed you all to uh to get after it. And I think that might be one kind of cool way for us to end this. Maybe we'll go around and y'all kind of share real quick how y'all got into it. And, and then we'll, we'll finish it off. One, one other thing to add on to that. Oh yeah. Also, go for it. It's also just like how, 
how you can essentially get phishing reports off of social media. Oh yeah, that's right? a really like good the, point. Like the when and the where, right? Where you have these, you know, migratory species, for example, s- such as bull redfish or, or cobia, showing up in places. You get the, you get these guys posting pictures like, all right, yep, we know they're there. We know it's generally that time of year. And all of a sudden you see a bunch of people posting pictures. It's like, you know, you know, they're there when they're there. So it's just like, that's very that true. kind of bugs me a little bit just cause it's like, maybe wait, maybe wait a little bit. Then not everybody would know when and where. So just, I don't know. Most definitely. And it's definitely. like, It's like once one person posts, you're like, I want people to know I'm catching them too. I got to put it up there. Like we've caught some. Check it out. We've caught a bunch. We've caught a bunch of cobia. No, I get it. I get it. Double-edged sword. Double freaking edged. Oh, man. Depressing topic tonight. It's almost like uh, people have to catch more fish to post on social media to show how good of a fisherman they are. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle with that, man. I do the same thing. Like I... I post for my for my clients, but a lot of times too, I'm like, I want other, I want the other guides out there to know I can catch fish. Like, I definitely struggle with that. That's one of my biggest struggles with social media, and that's why I've been trying to delete it from my phone a bunch. Is because my, I compare myself to other fishermen around me. Like, I'm like, dang, he caught more fish than I did today. Like, I thought I had a good day, and they caught more. Or, you know, I caught more. Look at me, I did better than everyone else today. Or you know, how the heck did he catch fish today? It sucked. Like, I can really find myself getting totally sucked into scrolling through people's stories and comparing my day to others instead of just really focusing on doing the best I can do that day on the water. So good acknowledgement. Yeah. I, I, I'm really good at acknowledging it. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen still. (laughs) (laughs) Well, stop. First step is acknowledgement. It is. (laughs) Hi, my name's Judd and I'm addicted to scrolling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, I think if we get into our stories of how we got into fishing, that's going to be like another 45 minutes, don't y'all? Dude, this is going to be like a five-hour podcast. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> are, we, are we about to... Uh, like 12 years ago. Are we about... God, what's all the way out of the bagel shop. So me and Dan, oh, we bagel. met at when we worked at Beach Bagels. <laughs> way back in the day. This was like <laughs> freshman year of college, I think. That was when they had one location. Yeah, one location at Wrightsville <laughs> Beach, and their bagels were actually good. Now their bagels kind of suck. <laughs> Um, I had a client the other day asking me how how me and you met, John, and I'm like, well, we met in a parking lot because I'm a creeper and Judd had a sage sticker on the back of his truck. <laughs> don't say I had a sage sticker on my truck. <laughs> um, no, Michael comes up and he's like, hey, do you fly fish? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Does it, doesn't it look like I freaking fly fish? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, he's like, I saw your sage sticker, and then we like, I think the next day we were driving to, we drove to freaking like Salisbury to buy a bunch of chi- chickens because we, I, we, I used to raise farm animals a bunch in college. <laughs> so Mike's like, yeah, I'll ride, I'll do a two on a three hour drive with you to go pick up some chickens. <laughs> oh, that was funny. And then, like a month later, we were roommates, and our house was called the Zoo. The zoo. For the entire time you, we uh, lived together. And when we lived at the zoo, one day Jeff was riding his bike home, and he was like, me and Mike were casting fly rods in the yard, and he just pulled in, and he was like, Yeah, you guys fly fish? Yeah, you fly fish? Oh, cool. I don't know no fly fish. Isn't that awesome that like it was hard to meet someone else back then that fly fished? Yeah. 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 Crazy. I mean, I was literally ready to transfer to app because I was so used to, you know, being able to walk out the door and be fishing you know within 30 minutes in the mountains and going and doing it myself but down here not having a boat not having a kayak or some way to access the water and then just how closed off the banks are in private here you know it's not like you can go pond fish or whatever um it just it took me a long time to finally like find a fishing buddy and that was judd for me i'll be your fishing buddy Mm-hmm. I still have the original boat that we started on sitting on the yard. Heck yeah, so, yeah. We, I think we need to make like a short film of a bunch of dudes just like walking up to each other and be like, "Hey, do you fly fish?" <laughs> we really should. And and it's like we all keep joining up, you know, like one of those commercials where like people keep like joining each other walking down the halls, but it's like one person walking is like, "Hey, do you fly fish?" Yeah, and then you start walking together, and then another one, "Hey, do you fly fish?" Yeah, and then you just keep keep adding on. Just about everyone you ask in Wrightsville Beach now would say, yeah, for sure. 
Right. Yeah. So. so funny. I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I promise. As long as people stop fishing the Carolina rig and let me fish a Carolina rig with a mullet on it and they go fly fish, <laughs> I'll be completely happy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've just gotten a little lazy. A little lazy this summer. I've been doing a lot of bait fishing. Um, yeah, bait fishing works. But I'll tell you what I've been getting down with the past two evenings a little bit after my trips is the old thumperoo from a speckled trout. Yeah, did you get one this evening? Yeah, I got a 23 this evening, actually. Wow. Yeah, one one stop and your- had a handful of fish, missed a couple other ones. And one, I got thumped and I felt like a real big one. It was like one of the biggest lizard fish I've ever caught. <laughs> and it came up and was like head shaking for a second, kind of in the glare. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then it was like probably a four pound lizard fish. <laughs> but, um, all right, boys. Baby's crying. It was good catching up. Yeah, it was good later. catching up. We'll wrap it up later, Dan. See you, Dan. See you, Dan. Anything else y'all want to share, boys? Mm, nope. I think that about wraps her up. Yeah. It sure does. What are y'all most looking forward to in, with, with fall fishing here? Trout skis. Trout I'm skis. Right. I don't know. I'm just like... We had such a good year like two years ago, and then last year was just so slow. Like they were showed up, they were gone, they were here, they were gone, they were super, you know, like very hard to find. Like when you found them, you found them good, but then it was like you may not find them again for a week or something. You know, they're just kind of spotty everywhere. I'm calling so, repeat. Do you think Go it's ahead. gonna be like that again? Mm-hmm. I do too. I think it's gonna be like yeah. that again, unfortunately. I don't know. I, I think next year might be good. I don't know. It's too early to tell, but I think I think uh, this year's going to be repeated of last year. Well, unfortunately, the Farmer's Almanac, and I'm a, I'm a pretty big believer the Farmer's Almanac is calling for a very, very, very cold winter. That's um, the sad part. So, well, yeah, it's supposed to be El Nino. El Nino. That's what I want to name my next daughter. <laughs> El Nino. This is my daughter, El Nino. <laughs> this is my daughter. Um, um, yeah, it is supposed to be a That's windy, winter. right? Like a windy winter. Yeah. Is that what that what does that mean, El Nino? I thought that had to do with wind. But you're you my know, Jeff, you're my weatherman. I always call Jeff. I'm like, what do you think about this forecast? Uh weatherman Jeff. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think it's general weather patterns. I don't know what. Good question. Come back to me. I'll come back to you. We'll get you next time here on Eastern Current. Well, guys, thanks for coming on. That was fun, and uh, we'll do it again sometimes. You hear? Do it. We'll do it again sometime. You hear? <laughs> All right. Hey, someone else. I just botched it. Someone else, give us a, a goodbye. Go for it, Jeff. Uh. <laughs> just something really meaningful and from the heart hey you know what stay tuned for next time on eastern current we thank you guys for tuning in amen